Hey guys, this is Sid here from Inside the Drinks Business. You know, it's great to be at CRD office today. Todd, thanks for joining me here. Yeah, thank you, Sid. Todd's uh, representing CRD Brokerage Company, which is the world's uh, biggest brokerage firm, I believe, right, Todd? Correct. So great to be here. We're going to talk about, you know, how the wine brokerage business works and a little bit about Spirits as well on what they're doing there. We're going to talk about, you know, how suppliers can spot opportunities in this market, trends, uh, and more importantly, what kind of customers they deal with, you know, so that you can find value in that. So Todd, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So, Thank you for coming by the office. Great. It's fantastic. Just give us a little background about yourself personally, you know, how you ended up here. Um, I grew up in the wine business with my family. Um, I've been with the Seattle company now for 19 years. And how I ended up wow. getting into this business uh, was a handful of friends. A lot of the partners that belong to this business and stuff like that uh, grew up in my hometown. And uh, I needed a job real bad. So I started calling them and calling them and calling them like I do today for the rest of my sales job. Nice, nice. I you, you still like cold call every day, a little uh, bit? Five yeah, or six calls? Like, yeah. what's, what's up? I'm introducing myself. You, you know, not so much, you know, be, af after so many years of doing it, right, you've established enough of a, of a rapport and you have a, a clientele list that you kind of know you can go to. But, you know, there's always those new products that come out. There's always uh, new people that we're trying to meet, especially as jobs change around in the wine industry. So, yeah, sometimes there's a cold call that's involved. Nice, nice. Super. So, let's, let's start with the role of a wine broker, right? I believe uh, you... You know, the, the old classic definition of a broker is helping a buyer and seller do a deal. You know, so how do you define uh, a role of Ciari in, in the wine trade? You know, it's it's part business partner, it's part friend, uh, it, it's put understanding the marketplace. You know, you, wine is such a unique uh, uh, agricultural product compared to other commodities or in, in other um, respects to other beverages and stuff. So, you know, understanding what is happening, especially on the bulk wine side, which is a very fast paced moving market. And if you ever see some of our reports, you see how some of the changes can drastically happen within 30 mm -hmm. days. Uh, and, and as we deal in some of the other products that happen out there, you know, they're a very slow moving market. Like when you're doing grape sales or you're doing concentrate deals, that these things take, they're a little bit longer. Uh, relationship-wise, and they, they drag out. But bulk wine can change very rapidly, as we're seeing in some markets right now. So, uh, you know, bulk wine data or private label data in U.S. is still very hard to find, right, publicly, because of our three-tier systems and many other reasons. Uh, give us some insights on, you know, how big is this business of bulk wine? Like how much bulk wine uh, trading happens? How much private label is going on? You know, just, just share some insights there. Well, it, again, the, the numbers are hard. So for even to me to equate it, if I'm selling it to a winery, a bulk wine to a winery or for a private label gig or if I'm selling it to them for their own brands or they're selling it to them for another business the business uh, transaction, it's hard for me to even quantify a lot of that stuff because we don't know a lot of times where the end product is uh -huh. and where the end product is actually going to end up. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. It's, 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 it kind of goes back and forth. Traditionally, you know, you know, 10 so years ago, you know, a majority of wine was moved through a broker. Now, and, and you know, with consolidation that's happened in California, um, with the uh, brands and the and the distribution consolidation that's happened over the last couple of years, mm -hmm. you know, that those percentage of numbers has really dwindled down a lot. It's mostly been on a need to need to buy basis in mm. most cases where bulk wine is happening. Okay, so let's dissect this, right? Like, I want to know really about the type of the customers and type of the people you deal with, right? So. There are growers, there are wineries that make 
wine and then there are bottlers you may be selling for you know so uh, or big chains so give give me a scenario of type of the customers and what what are the needs normally you know, can be buying or selling need right yeah yeah uh, you, know, you know it's funny when i first started uh, with ciati uh, back in 2004 you know all, my rolodex consisted of mostly production people winemakers lab mm -hmm. cellar workers maybe a finance person maybe someone a, a little bit on the executive side of a winery now it ends up being a lot more finance people you know, executives, presidents, general managers, and stuff like that, and have definitely moved somewhere around away from the winemaking status of it because it's just the cost of where it's gone. But you know, when we look at some of the deals that happen currently, what's what's going on in the wine industry today? You know, if you're from I'm a, from a buyer side, you know, most of the contact is. I need this, I need to refill this, I need to get this program, I need this vintage, and that's a very specific buying degree of what they're going for. They're not going for, oh, I need a new, I, I want to grow this market, or I want to expand this area, or I want to get into this So it's, this it's to fill their current demands. To fill their that's current the demands. That's the number one. Is and, and, that is, and the type of the customer is the winery in this case. In this case, it's Where always let's say the winery. I have you know, this much of repeat Cabernet sales from my current brand. And now this year it's less vintage. So I'm going to get some bulk wine. There's always going to be that, especially when we've come off the last couple of years here domestically in California, where we've come off some shorter crops, um, especially in, in certain areas, rather you're in Napa or Sonoma, and some people really need to backfill what they missed out on the grapes. Mm. So you find your business kind of drawing you towards some of those deals at this point in time. Cool. So I'm not trying to, uh, you know, uh, take business away from Seattle here, but here's here's a classic case where how do you know what winery needs, you know, uh, from like, let's say internet or how, how someone sitting from Australia or Argentina knows what this winery in Napa needs, which grape they need. So I, I believe that's, that's, that's why you guys exist, right? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> why we exist. You know, um, it, it, you can look at that to a couple different ways, you know, don't like currently just the way we're talking about it today in, in 2023, as we sit here, you know, it, it, it's such an on-demand buying situation. I can't say that enough. You know, mm. we, we're in the past. You, you've always seen the opportunities existed because, you know, you know said retailer or said winery has a, has a contract with a, an, an open market So it's one-time deals right now going one time, on? A lot of it's spot market, as we call it. Spot market deals okay. is what we're going to call it. Not a lot of contract work moving forward. All right. You know, the contract work has slowed up a lot over the last couple of years. But that's so bad in one way, right? For planning uh, purpose? Well, it's planning purpose, but people, you know, it it's, it's just goes to go with the trend is of today, right? As we talked about the spirits program and people just, the, the trend of what people are drinking, what people want to drink today. Uh, you know, the wine is a traditional, you know, uh, product that's usually been on tables for dinners and uh, classic occasions and, and celebrations of some sort. And, you know, at this point in time, you, you get the feeling uh, that a lot of people are selling, you know, maybe buy one bottle of wine for that night, but not buy the full case mm. for that for that situation. So I, I understood the winery buying demand sort of requirement, right? Now, what about the selling part? I've just made extra Chardonnay. So we'll, how, how that works? Oh, yeah, no, it's, you know, the selling part of it is where I think we, you know, the relationship with your broker and the relationship with, with the knowing the marketplace helps out the most, right? Where the buyers are, what the cost or that the pricing is at this point in time, you know, who, 
who can take volume, who can't take volume. You know, the, that, that's where we can really shine brightly is when we're helping out the seller and understanding where it is. When is the best deal? When is not the good deal? How long to wait? How long not to wait? You know, these kinds of things. What's going on with your wine? Why people, what the feedback is on your wine and over your product at that point in time. Got it. So I'm just going a little deeper so I understand the business, right? So I guess let's say in Australia, someone make a lot of Shiraz uh, this year. Now they've told you help us sell Shiraz at the best price we can, for example. That's simple as that, right? Mm -hmm. Now you're going to reach out to some of your customers around the world. Uh, wineries in this case saying, hey, you need Shiraz to blend and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'll send you some samples and then maybe back and forth some tweaks happen. And then th is that how you already have a database, I'm imagining, of some buyers with, with their needs? Like, okay, Todd, every time there is Shiraz, let me know. Or one time there is a price which falls under $1 a gallon, let me know and so on. You're getting good at this. Okay. That is exactly right. <laughs> that's a, that's that, that, that is where we would deal with on the buyer side. We, you know, making sure we have that information easy to accessible for us to make sure that when we are talking to the sellers, because you know, obviously we're, we're trying to put two sides of the market together, two sides uh, as, a, as a relationship together. You wanna make sure you, you're talking about the right things at the right time. So that, we work a lot as brokers to make sure that we have all the buyer information, know exactly where you are, what the cost is, what you need to get out of it, where, you know, and, and vice versa, you're dealing with the seller and stuff like that, telling them, hey, I don't know if you have a market that's gonna exist here. Whatever it is, don't, don't add more additives to it. You know, let's not put any more oak on the wine. Let's not, make, let's not add costs to it because we don't know if we're gonna recoup those costs. Mm. And so we spend a lot of time doing that. What's, what's a, a good deal look like, right? Like, uh, you know, the timing of it, like some winery told you, okay, I've got this much gallons or tons left. How fast do you think you can move? You know, if they just give you a freedom that at any price, get, get me the deal, I want this juice out. Yeah, no, I mean, it, again, it, motivation for selling is different for everybody, right? Okay. Rather be, we, we get a, sometimes pressures from banks that know that need to get some cash flow into that. For, for that who's thing. financing the winery? For financing it. Rather it be, hey, guess what? We need to empty that tank because we need it open for the next coming harvest. Rather it be, hey, guess what? We just lost this portion of our market and our distributor's not gonna pick us up in here. We need to get rid of this because it's not a thing. So motivation is is different for everybody. And, and you know, sometimes when we represent the bulk industry, especially when we talk about pricing and stuff like that, we put them in major ranges. We put the the prices in ranges when, okay. we, when we display them to everybody else because we, we don't know 100% why you're making that deal. Somebody in a market True. that's a $10 market might sell it for $5 just for the simple fact that their bank is telling them, hey, guess what? It's time this month you need to pay mm. and we need to, you need to get some money in here right now versus, you know, hey, I'm in a good position. I don't know. My, my, I lost this market, but this one right here I'm entering in, I could use my Chardonnay over here. I don't have to sell it for $10 today. I might hold out for 10 or 11 or $12 and see mm. where the market takes me as we get closer to harvest. And especially now we were getting into in domestically here in California where uh, the grape crop, we're trying to, we're trying to uh, gauge what's going to happen with the grape crop. And that usually has some kind of effect on which you're going to either be a buyer and or a seller in this market, depending on what the, the vineyards are doing at this point in time. One of the things that fascinates me is, you know, because uh, wineries or producers don't want their name to come out, right? That they can't just openly put it on the website that I, I'm selling my excess Shiraz, otherwise obviously discounting will start from other current buyers. 
So yeah. uh, that is that is good for the brokerage business because you can exist because it's they want privacy and they want they prefer this route, right? But on the flip side, how are you restricting buyers and sellers information? Like you know, uh, isn't that a fear that? Obviously, a winery knows who's buying and then they go direct in the second deal. Yeah, I mean, it's always a fear. You know, we, we fight that all the time. We, you know, we hope and we sit around and that most of the conversations that we have a strong enough relationship with both sides of the parties hmm. um, to make us realize that we are a benefit to you on both sides, right? Do, we're do we're adding some kind of value to do the deal. go with contracts and NDAs and... Those kind of things where it's five years, they just can't deal with the buyer. It, not on a spot market situation, okay. for sure. Not that you know, spot market is is more of like you said, being relevant and staying current with what's going on in the industry. Yeah, if it gets to some contract terms and there's some longer stuff, yeah, they'll there some of those those lawyer lawyer ease stuff mm. comes into play. Cool. Um, but for the most part, like you, as we'll see later, as you start to look at the sample room and everything like that, it's it's mostly just being a, a partner in your business. We want to make sure that you make the we give you the best information to make the best decisions at that time possible. That's what our goal is. Mm. Let's say you know tips for the bulk wine suppliers out there, you know whose majority of the business is selling bulk wine. Yes. Uh, what would be our, your best five tips to sort of you know run a business on a, on a macro level? How do you, how do you frame it? How do you prepare? What are, the, what are the mistakes they just lose money on what they should not I mean, do? And, and timing is everything. Timing is everything. Can't say it enough. So what do you mean by timing? Time, timing where, mean, where does it apply? It, well, time, it, it, it applies when it comes to vintages, right? When we're, when we're, ter- we're changing over vintages, right? Okay. It, it applies to when we're talking about whites and red wines, rather than talking about Chardonnay or Cabernet or your favorite Syrahs as you keep on going back towards. Um, so the understanding the timing of the market, and, and again, because the bulk wine market changes so quickly, that timing could be upset at any point, right? So we're right now as a as a traditional seller in this marketplace. You know, we're getting towards the end of what would be the white wine season, right? Where because summer buying's of, done, sort of thing. Summer's buying's done. You're kind of getting into finishing up the bottlings for your white, so you know what the, the numbers look like have, have for your marketplace, and you're not going to go. So, any so that further means than what? That. Now, if someone wants to sell their white, they're not going to get a good price, or you're going to start to diminish returns you know sorry maybe not a good price maybe not necessarily the highest market because now price. so much need is there for the seller to just empty their now it's just stuff. empty moving on and getting but to the does next it one. does it all it all, it can also mean that it's a good time to buy right now and get and you could be an opportunity Exactly. If you have the holding cash power or something like that? 100%. No, and, and, and some people that we deal with on the buying side, that's exactly the conversation you're having with them. And say, hey, the, here we go. We're getting to the end of Sauvignon Blanc. Let's Maybe it's time for you to start thinking about the pricing is coming back towards where you want it to be or where you need it to be for your specific product or your specific retailer that you're dealing with. Okay. There's so, a lot of those conversations. So timing. Then what about preparing the deck? Like, you know, if... if if Todd asked me that, hey, said, you know, you are this winery, I want to, I want to uh, sell your Chardonnay to someone else, send me some information. So what do you expect the winery to send you? Well, you know, it, it, it's based on samples. It's always based on what's in the bottle, right? I mean, you can send me all the lab results. You can send me uh, all the accolades that you, you've sent over all the years with all of your wines. But because the wine is a, it's a, stat, in a static state, and it's in that bottle. It's whatever you're showing up with the sample. As we tell a lot of sellers and stuff like that, okay, thank you for telling us that you have you know, 
a thousand gallons and it's Chardonnay and it's from Russian River, that's great. We like that information. That helps us out. Mm -hmm. But we can't sell anything unless we have the sample in front of them. Mm -hmm. It's hard for us to, to, to prove to somebody that just because you have it Russian River and you have all the right stuff, but we need it to have an actual sample to taste because okay. that's where the proof in the pudding is, right? Got it. And, yeah. and we, we spend a lot of effort to make sure that people understand that. that we, you know, and, and when you put your product into a bottle, make sure you do it with, with some care and with some thought behind it too because we, we find a lot of people, obviously on the bulk side of it, that, that sometimes don't take as much care when they're sampling, don't take as much and care. That's when where the decision is made basically. Because when there's a tasting, there's lined up and you're with 20 other people that are in the tasting, you want them to pull the bottles forward as we always say instead of pushing the bottles backwards. What are the tips you know, uh, on sending samples? Uh, what kind of information you expect them and, and, and any, any growth hacks there like all right, you know, uh, add some sales material with your sample box or... Not necessarily. No, no, no. No, no, no literature. Don't, literature doesn't do you any good at okay. this point. Or what about <laughs> nice yeah. crew cap or... Screw cap or, or like what I would say, make sure that, the, you know, in some cases you have a finished wine first. You know, we get, sometimes we get stuff in here that's unfinished. Mm -hmm. And this because they're trying to hit the market and they're trying to beat everybody to the market. Yeah. Um, you know, but there's no, there's no real hacks to it. They're, they're, the, the, the... Best conversation I can have with any seller that's really trying to enter into a marketplace is really have a conversation with your broker, uh, your CID broker, to understand what is selling at that point in time. Do we need to add more oak to it? Do we need to uh, go through okay. ML? Do we need to add costs to make sure we establish ourselves at the top end of the market? Okay. Now, and if the market doesn't exist and if there's no opportunities there, let's not add more costs. Let's just make sure that we put out the best product as best as possible and let's get it out into the marketplace. You know, going back on the on the tips for selling bulk wine, you know, what other things, let's say, who's involved in the sales for that bulk wine, the export manager or the sales rep, you know, what, how would you advise them to do biz dev? Again, mostly just on the economic side of it, really. Just understanding that, you know, if if you've got $10 cost per gallon into your product mm -hmm. and it's a $8 market, maybe your first offer is your best offer. And mm -hmm. understanding that, understanding the timing, because it's a rarity we see too many markets grow after how to best way to say that it, it, it's for expanding markets it would have some would would drastically have to happen in a vineyard or in a space like we'd have to go back to like what happened in the pandemic right and some of those cases uh where people started having to buy everything online people were buying it from the stores on the you know your off-premise places mm -hmm. and they were they were putting it into the pantry and they were stocking up mm -hmm. then we saw a huge growth at that point in time for a lot of wines, mm. rather it be red and wine on both sides. You couldn't predict that in any case. Right? That, was an, that was an anomaly when it came to the, to the season. So understanding where you are and what's happening out there is, is key to if you're gonna be a seller, and if you're understanding what's gonna happen in the bulk market, if you're gonna enter into this. Got it. Let's, let's talk about a little bit of private label part, mm -hmm. you know, the big chains, and especially US being three tier, it's not like Tesco coming out in London openly and asking for a buying Samples need, right? So, uh, to my knowledge, it works like, okay, you have companies, bottling companies like O'Neill and Delicato, and they are the sort of the front end of the Walmarts of the world. And, you know, they, they prefer to work with these bottlers than directly wineries. So explain me the model of like really a common model of a big chain buyer in US. And then how does that land up to you? Uh, what kind of role do you play? And how do you connect the dots with Australia or Argentina, let's say, to the Walmart? 
typically what ends up happening is those big retailers already have brands into those retail shops mm -hmm. and everything. So those 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 buyers for those markets, that wine buyer for at Walmart or mm -hmm. whatever the large retailer might be, would ask the producer, hey, can you do this for us? Can mm -hmm. you produce this? Can you get us a Napa something, Napa Chardonnay? Can you get us a Russian River Pinot Noir? Can you get us an, uh, you know, and, and it always kind of almost But then dictates. just on that, like they ask the producer, you said, but then they would ask a producer that's nationally approved in their chain. They will not waste time for here and there, right? Correct. That's what I'm saying. They're going to go with somebody that's already in their like store. Like Constellation or Neil. Yeah, they're going to go with somebody that's familiar. Okay. They have a relationship that's in their store that they know that can produce and deliver what even they if they can't produce they can fulfill the bulk requirement that's what happened and that's where they go so okay. they go you, you know I, i'm saying i'm not in a lot of those meetings so i'm not part All of right. those things but you understand that they ask them can you produce this well we don't have that but we know we can Understood. source it from, on the bulk side of it we can come to so a that's Ciotti. where the first chain inbound inquiry would go with the current producers that they're working with that's what we find most often yes okay. that, that's, that's and then and then let's say that, typical and then that producers can come to you and say, okay. and that's that's where we come into play at the end of the day. Would it cost? How much you can source? What it looks like? Here are the samples. Start tasting hmm. and see what you like. And let's let's negotiate based upon what you think, what you like, and what you can do volume wise. Cool, Todd. What about bulk spirits? You know what's going on there? Like what's what's CID doing there? Well, bulk spirits is is a new thing, and, and and it's and it's an up and coming thing. You know, for the most part, we we've we've seen. Uh, a, a big change, especially when it comes to like oak additives and, and the oak world. So we in the bourbons in the bourbon section of it. Obviously, the brandy world is very close to us when we talk about the wine product in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, but then you start to see, you know, just the way that consumers are going these days. Rather it be some of these RTDs, your tequila drinks. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I just you've tried to start to expand it, so we're really trying to get a good Rolodex and a good list of people who we can contact, and 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 better yet, just be a, a self-added value to our customers that we're already dealing with. Because a lot of the clients that we're already dealing with are are in these spaces and stuff like that. Just need to have the the information to make the best business decision they can make, and especially if you're going to try and get into the business at this point in time mm -hmm. too.